Hello and welcome to Film Kid Asks, the podcast where I ask questions to working professionals in the film industry from the perspective of someone just getting started. My name is Jordan and today I'm joined by an up-and-coming cinematographer who's worked on titles like Prodigals, The Good Doctor, and Siren, Lindsay George. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, happy to be here. You were originally a modern dancer and this is really your second career. How has dance influenced the way that you approach the camera? You know, it's funny in hindsight, I would have never imagined how much it helped. Um, I grew up in Toronto and went to the school of Toronto dance theater and was, you know, in modern dance, but didn't find it fulfilling enough in terms of the technical element. So cinematography, when I started doing it was really this cool blend of movement with a technical element to it, which I really appreciated. Um, the number one thing that I've find it's really helpful with is when an actors when two actors are in a scene or a bunch of actors in a scene the blocking that they do is immediately embedded in my memory where they stand where they want to go how that camera can move in relationship to where those actors are it really does help you to understand movement in a way without talking like how can an actor portray something how can i show it in a way that will express a feeling without having them talk so it really did become this very unique background that has helped me design interesting camera moves and understanding how an actor's blocking can really be manipulated with where the camera is placed. Um, Beyond that too, it's been really helpful in terms of dramatic lighting. A lot of the lighting we use in dance is very stark and all that sort of stuff. So dance has really been a strong influence in both the camera movement and the lighting side of things. Um, Yeah, no, it's been a really, really helpful And I think in general, anytime you work in film, the things that are unique about you can really help you find work. Like the things that you really, having passions outside of just filmmaking can really broaden who you are as a filmmaker. Yeah, that's super interesting. I guess that makes sense that you would have a better understanding of blocking and that it would solidify a lot more quickly in your mind. And I feel like maybe you might be able to anticipate movement in a way that other cinematographers and camera operators can't. It's interesting, too, because I, um, while I was DPing independence, I was working my way up as a camera. I first started in lighting, and then I went to camera operating while in the union. And so I was working under other DPs as an operator. And working as an operator with an actor is really like this dance of where can the camera be? I did a show called Colony. I was the A operator on that, and that entire series is handheld. So we were doing fight sequences where I was like having to remember where like someone was shooting at a certain point and get the camera just out of the way. And it really like becomes this dance that you get to do. And especially with camera operating, the element of understanding choreography and where people were was incredibly helpful. It's a really, yeah, it's a fun job. Camera operating is a great job too. If you ever get a chance to do that, it really like is one of those jobs that people overlook and it's one of the most fun jobs on set. That's awesome. So as an up-and-coming cinematographer, what are some of the biggest learning experiences that you had thus far, and what have you found most valuable to your development? I think one of the biggest things that helped me get to where I was so quickly was really diversifying my experience. So right out of film school, I was deeping small films, and I joined um, our union for lighting. So I was working in lighting, which is a tough job and it's really like physical but I found it so helpful to be watching where lights were placed why they were placed there and understanding like how all the electric electrical stuff works so that I could shoot independence and not blow somebody's breaker box and stuff like that you know what I mean it was very helpful to have that sort of like basis of understanding of electricity and lights and soft lights and hard lights 
really understanding that. And then also I would like second AC for people. I would do any job for free if it was in lighting, camera, or grip, just because I was like, I want to learn all those elements of what really makes up the cinematographer. And every job has those positions. If you want to be a director, maybe do a show as a script supervisor or, you know, do storyboards for a bunch of stuff. So you have to really diversify your experience so that you can understand what every role does and how it works towards your, your final job. Um, I definitely also found throughout my career, just taking time to reflect on films that I've made and both negative and positive experiences. If you had a negative interaction with a certain crew member on set, like how could that have gone better? And really like understanding and recognizing and learning from every experience you work with. Cause you're not going to get along with everybody in film. And it's all about finding that common ground or understanding where they're coming from and how to have positive interactions, even if you don't agree with them. Cause every person you're going to work with is going to have a different opinion. And sometimes they, you're, you know, you're in sync like that, but with other people who you have to work with, you have to find an easy way to work with them. Um, yeah. So that's been really helpful. And I think to just, fostering like relationships of people that you're in film school with. Like I still make films with the people I went to film school with and I graduated in 2006. So it's been a while. Um, but those people were the first people I made films with. They were people I shot a documentary with in Las Vegas. They were people I shot. I've, I worked on Sesame street with a director from my film school. So it's interesting. Like you never know when those relationships are going to come back and be really beneficial to you. Yeah, that's super awesome to hear as a film student, because I think it's safe to say that that's what we all hope that we can find. So what makes someone stand out to you when they're working in the camera department? Um, it's a really important question because it's one of those things that you might take a day call on a show. And if you have the right it factor, you can end up getting a full time job from that show. But one of the biggest things that I find as a DP um, are making sure that the people who are working with me are constantly listening. And I don't mean that you can't chit chat a little bit, but if I'm asking for 35 mil to be put on the A camera and you're off having a gossip session, not a great thing. So you always have to be in tune with the people you're working with, understanding like reading the set, not talking when the actors are present, not talking when the director needs everyone's attention, really understanding that we're here to make a film. We're also here to have a good time but we're here to make a film. And so if you're impeding that process by being distracting, it really won't benefit anyone in the long run. And that goes for every department. It doesn't matter if you're working in camera or any department, you have to have this like innate sensibility to what people are going to need and anticipating it and being prepared. You know, you don't want to be caught sitting around when you should be doing something else that's going to help move the film along. Um, so yeah, it's really important to sort of always be listening and just have a positive attitude. There's a few people who I've worked with who I won't hire on crews now because they come into set every day and they're dark cloud. You know, everyone has a bad day. That's not, that's not what we're saying. It's repeatedly coming into set with a negative attitude. Oh, I don't want to be here. All oh, the hours are too long, all that sort of stuff. You have to really embrace what this industry is, understanding what sacrifices you're going to have to make in your life. And then coming in and being like, we get to do the most fun job in the world. Like we literally get to tell stories all day long and it's so creative and super fun that you have to really give it the respect it's due it's a super fun job 
So what skills do you think a person should have going into the camera department, especially as a student filmmaker? I think it's interesting. My path is very, it's not the usual way people come up into the camera department. Our union in BC has this camera trainee program. So essentially all you really need to have in that and to join the camera trainee program is maybe you volunteered on a few indie shoots and then you go through this rigorous, I think it's like eight to 10 month training. And then you can, and then you have to do a ton of um, shows as a trainee and then work as a second and then work as a focus puller. I wasn't up for that. I was, first of all, I'm a terrible focus puller and I don't understand why being an operator, you have to be a focus puller first because those two jobs are completely separate. What I did is I joined lighting and I kept shooting tons of stuff and I was always operating on my own stuff. And then when I wanted to join the camera department, I just applied as an operator. Um, granted, I mean, my experience level was definitely good enough to get in and it was also helpful that they were looking to diversify their camera department. So I was one of only like four female camera operators in the union at that time. So that helped as well. But ever since then, I've sort of just gone into the camera department. My theory is you should always do the job you want, not the, not, and like not always work up towards spending 10 years in each position before you move up. If you want to be a director, start directing. Doesn't mean you can't make money as a lamp op, but always be directing, always be editing, always be writing, whatever it is you have to do. Because that's the thing that's going to get you the job you want eventually. Right. So kind of circling back to what you said about diversifying camera departments, one thing that I've personally heard over and over is that the camera truck is a boys club and there aren't a ton of women working at a high level as DOPs. What has been your experience as a woman working in the camera department? Um, you're definitely right. <laughs> There's very few women in the camera department. Um, Myself personally, I have a very A-type personality, like, and I'm also very loud, and I'm very um, outspoken, so I haven't really had a ton of issues because I think I have the kind of vibe that meshes well with a lot of like male personalities or like typical male personalities, um, but what I definitely know is that there has been a weeding out of a lot of those people that don't give opportunities to whether it's women, whether it's, you know, anyone who has a, is a diverse person because they, those people are becoming the old guard. And we are definitely like this younger generation is definitely becoming one who understands that there are different genders, different people, different backgrounds that can tell a movie like, you know, just as well as the next person. Um, and I think that there's a real fostering of diverse crews now I'm seeing it. I mean, it also helps that when I work on a crew, I generally just pick the best people and try to do a mix of everyone. But um, those boys club mentalities are definitely on their way out. The biggest thing in camera, especially when you get up to like operator and DP, is just to really like make that idea of this is my point of view and this is why I want to tell it. And that's the biggest thing. It's just really owning your decisions and being able to justify them. So why do you think that it's important to have more female voices behind the camera? Is there a different sensibility or point of view? Yeah, like, why do you think diversity is important? I mean, I definitely think that there, when they talk about, like, the female gaze, I kind of fight against that notion because that means that I'm always telling stories in a specific perspective. But there are things that I have noticed that I'm more aware of when it comes to 
actresses, like their shirt being a little open and you can see their bra, stuff like that. Or like their makeup isn't looking right. There are things that I notice that generally a male counterpart wouldn't notice because they don't wear makeup or, you know, those things that just sort of kind of jump out at you. Um, but I think the importance of the diversity in voices is that it really, whether it's director, whether it's DP, whether it's, you know, camera operator, is that there needs to be a blend of, of temperament on set. Having everyone be the same kind of person that fits in the same box doesn't allow for this like creative process that can be really stimulating and have a lot of discussion between people who have different perspectives in life. Um, so it doesn't really matter. Like it's not about putting a woman director in here and a woman and you know like a person of color and as DP. It's more about like can we get a blend of people so we can tell this story from a from a multitude of perspectives. Yeah, I think that's a great attitude to have. I think it's important we recognize diversity as a great resource. So what to you is the most creative part of the process? Um, so I think one of my favorite things is when I get a script and I'm working with the director on say, an episodic television show and we sort of start that process of breaking down the script and talking about the shots they want. The next element that I really love is when I have to like, work with the gaffer and key grip to be like, how can we achieve this shot that starts all the way up here and then swoops down and then comes through a doorway and we want all the lights to turn off. You know what I mean? Like we have this idea of what this shot is going to look like. Now, how can we technically make it all happen and have it be very fluid? I think another thing too that I really love about the creative process is location scouting. Cause it's when this like idea that you have in your head about what this scene or this environment should look like and then finding those locations and really like transforming them into how your mind sees them, whether it's production design, whether it's lighting, whether it's, you know, what angles you're going to shoot the space in. It's a really fun way of like going to a place and being like, can this work? Can we achieve this vision? How can I make this work technically? Um, that I really love. It's a super fun part of creating a world that you see on the page and bringing it to life. Yeah, that's awesome. So obviously, as you've said, you've worked on a diverse set of projects. How does your approach change when you're working on a project where you have the creative freedom to author the look of the show or movie versus when you're brought onto a project with an established look? When it comes to creating a look from scratch, uh, look for a brand new project, really breaking down the script, sort of like seeing what first thoughts come to mind about a scene, you know, like if a person is going through a really dark place, like alone and really, you know, stark, just things in your mind when you're reading the script that really kind of jump out. Then you have to bring those notes and really like dissect them with the director. Like what are they taking from these characters from this world that you can then enhance and bringing your own thoughts into it as well, sort of breaking down the script into these pieces that are eventually going to look as a whole. Um, what is the lighting going to look like? What are the lens choices? Um, so really like understanding and, and having a, a breadth of knowledge when it comes to paintings and films and references is really important because anytime you read a new script, you have to start conjuring up these ideas of what can this world look like and where have I seen images that really speak to those things. When you're working with producers in LA, they want to see specific things. They want to see like, this is what you're actually going to produce because they don't want to take a chance on a, you know, $6 million an episode TV show. If you don't have a vision that they can understand, um, you know, once you get into a certain place and you're, you know, 
more established. People are like, Roger Deakins, you go ahead and shoot however you want. Um, but for all of us that are working to getting these jobs on series that are big, that are a lot of investment, you really have to be able to show your vision of what you're going to achieve and have you and the director really speak to this is why the film or the television show is going to work. That being said, when you go to a show where you're reproducing a look from previous seasons, you have to watch that show over and over and think, what are the elements that I as a viewer am pulling from the TV show I'm watching? Is the lighting really stark? Do they use a lot of atmosphere? Is the camera constantly moving? Is the camera really static? How do they frame? What do they frame? When you have meetings with producers, I like to ask them what they like about the photography and what they'd like to see improved about the photography so that you can kind of help evolve the look of the show. Um, and I have sort of a specific example, like on the, on the TV show Siren I just did, I really didn't like the color of the moonlight that had been established. So I went to the producers and I said, hey, I'm going to send you a bunch of looks of different colors of moonlight that are close to that, that I feel comfortable using. Can we discuss if, and so I was able to like slightly change the color of moonlight. That totally makes sense. So going off of that, how do you go about working with directors on episodic television and trying to incorporate their vision into the established style? It's definitely different with each director um, because every director has a different style and every director has a different perspective on how to run their set and how they like to run their set. Um, you kind of have to really be not forceful, but really stand behind this as sort of what elements work really well on the show. We have to incorporate at least a sum of them so that when the director wants to bring in a unique shot, you still have enough of a basis of what the show normally looks like to then allow them to incorporate these unique angles that will then make their episodes stand out. Because you also understand that they are there working, they want to be hired again. So how can they infuse their own style onto a show that has a specific look? Um, yeah, no, I definitely, that part of it is really fun being on a TV show week to week and seeing different directors and how well they, um, incorporate the style of the show is really fun. What are your favorite parts of shooting second unit work? I think for me, the second unit work is fun because you have to really interpret the look of a DP. You aren't supposed to stray you have to have that work seamlessly cut into that episode that that other DP has done. Um, so whenever I do second unit work for a DP, I always like to go back to the DP and ask like, did they have any notes or stuff that they'd like to see done differently for the next time I work on the show? Um, with Good Doctor, I was shooting a lot of second units and that DP was really awesome about giving me creative and constructive criticism. And I really, rather than get your back up about it, think so that's a really important note and I need to interpret that because those people usually have a ton more experience than you and you have to really learn from them because it's not your show you know you have to understand it that their show that they have established the look for and you have to just fit seamlessly in it so it's really fun because you kind of have to become this chameleon of like watching how they light how they do the camera movements normally and then going and doing second unit stuff um, but yeah I really enjoy it I'm glad now to be doing DP work but it was a super important learning tool to have. For sure. I mean, obviously it's nice to have that creative freedom, but it's also great to hear about how people can and should be taking advantage of their current situations. Mm -hmm. Well, I think too, you have to understand like 
it's important for like directors will also get second unit work. You know, there's a lot of other departments like gaffers will get upgraded to, or sorry, lamp offs will get upgraded to gaffers on second unit. So we all are learning, a, you know, a new step up and a really important thing to have on your resume. Because if you have second unit, you know, good doctor on your resume, people in LA see that they know that you have been vetted by LA people, that your stuff cut in the show and it worked. So it's a really fun task that you, that's an important step for people in my position. Right. And so going off of people taking advantage of their current situation, how do you think students should take advantage of this time making micro budget in indie films? Yeah. Um, I think number one, the biggest thing is to always be absorbing work, absorbing films you can watch, absorbing, you know, podcasts you can listen to. There's a lot of really good, important filmmaking tools that you can be listening to and watching. Um, I've been like working my way through the AFI 100 years, 100 movies list of like films that I hadn't seen, watching old films that are really cool to watch because we don't. I think we get tunnel vision of the way movies are made in the certain generation we're in and watching some of these older films are like, why don't we just use a zoom from like a wide to a tight or like the conversation starting tight on a person and pulling out wide. It's great. Like to reimagine what making films can be. You don't always have to sit in this lane. I think too, there's a lot of tools that people should be spending their time learning. If you want to be an editor, you know, there's a lot of tool tools that you can be using I'm learning scriptation, which is this way to break down scripts online. So just like spending those time now that you have it to really learn tools that have become these important filmmaking, you know, downloading Aperture and you know, learning that tool. There's a lot of different programs that we use on set that you don't have time to learn in this downtime. Now, when it comes to COVID and making films, I think you have to do stuff that you feel comfortable with. I personally haven't spent the time making movies because I've been doing other things like a lot of editing and a lot of other stuff, but um, photography and making small films can be really, really helpful. I think it's really fun to use the constrictions to make something that you might not have normally made. You've obviously worked with a number of different crews, directors, producers. What makes for a great set environment and how do you stay collaborative? So I think we touched on this a bit earlier, but the biggest thing is really listening to people understanding where they're coming from and where their idea is being developed from and being able to find some common ground when it comes to what kind of light fixture we're going to use in this room or how we're going to use the camera to really tell the story. Um, listening is a huge part in film and so many of us talk over each other because we're all so excited and passionate and sometimes we don't take the time to listen to what the other person's saying because we have this vision in our head. Um, so I think that that really helps. I think another thing too is to always be um, not bringing personal baggage to work. Really like if you have a disagreement or a problem with someone, taking them aside, talking to them personally about it, clearing the air and moving on is such an important thing. You really want to come into work the next day fresh and not dealing with that baggage because it affects the work that you do. And it's not fair to the people who work around you and it's not fair to the project that you're working on. So always like trying to really be respectful of what people need to get through the day and 
focus on what we're doing. For sure. So kind of shifting gears now, where do you go to recharge creatively and find inspiration, especially visual inspiration, because that's such a huge part of your job? Mm-hmm. Um, I am a big fan of art and art galleries. So I try to go to as many as I can. Usually when I'm traveling, Vancouver isn't really known for its art. But when I'm in Toronto uh, visiting family, I usually go to the galleries there. And when I was in LA, I was going there. Um, I think it really helps to just be absorbing art of so many different backgrounds and styles. It really, it does bring something to the work that you do. And also when it comes to, I mean, galleries nowadays have such extensive photography sections. So that really is something that I try to reference. And there's photographers that I've personally liked whose work that I own that I think, it doesn't even have to do with like framing sometimes, but just colors, the mixing of colors. It's really fun to sort of look at different work and see how could I interpret this in a really interesting way. Um, Having the time to watch films. Right now you guys always feel like you have so much free time, but when you eventually get busy working, you don't actually make the time to watch films, but it's so important to watch independence, big budget documentaries, all these sort of films and understand what the filmmakers were going for and what limitations they were working with. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, like I said, podcasts, that kind of thing, like really just sort of thinking about the bigger picture of why we make the decisions we do on film. Yeah, totally. So as someone who went to film school at UBC, what are your thoughts on school? And is there anything regarding your schooling or education that you wish you'd done differently? You know what? I had an amazing time working at UBC. The people I met were great. It didn't really give us a terribly sound technical background. It was definitely more bigger picture, like what are we trying to say in this movie? So I did end up going to Cap College after UBC for a four-month intensive in lighting, just to understand how I could get into that department and what I needed to actually do the job technically. Um, They didn't really give us any of that information at UBC, but it was amazing for developing these relationships and these close bonds with people who we could make films with. And the alumni network at UBC is amazing. We, they only accepted 15 students per year. So every year people would find alumni from the year before and get them to work on their projects. Um, It was a really, really helpful stepping stone into making movies. Um, And I think having a degree has been something I'm really thankful for in the long run. Like I have a bachelor's of arts. So if ever I decide to move away from film, I have that foundation I could build upon to get more education if I wanted to. So I think that element of it is always something good to know that you have. Right. So finally, what advice would you give to someone who's just starting their career now and is aspiring to be in your position one day? I think the biggest thing you have to be aware of is just always be making films as much as you can. No matter what the role is, trying different things, but constantly be working on stuff. I find it's really been helpful learning under, like when I was lamp bobbing, I would show up to these big shoots. You know, I was working on like Man in the High Castle and all this like vintage cars. And I'm just standing there with a lamp up, like, but trying to absorb as much of like what is happening around me as I can. Um, But then also working on independent stuff and learning from those DPs and what they were doing. Um, and it works for every department, you know, anytime you can get on a film, you know, and 
work in set deck, but you're still there absorbing what's going on around you. You know, you're still watching this movie get made. You can sneak behind the monitor and see what's happening on screen. Um, understanding how different directors work with different actors, especially if you want to direct, is a very important thing to develop and see how others do. I've been, I've been very lucky and I sort of get the privilege of seeing a lot of directors work. So when I work with certain friends of mine, I'm like, okay, I get where they're lacking a bit in this stuff because there's some experienced directors that you could talk, like the notes they give to actors, just change a performance like that. And it's really smart ways of working that you kind of absorb being around other filmmakers. So yeah, that's the biggest thing is like, you know, I had a waitressing job so I could work on films for free if I needed to, you know, whatever you can do to sort of make a living and work on as many films as possible is sort of the, my basis for how people should go about it. That's how I did it. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah, for sure. So that's it for my questions. And I'm now going to open it up to a few of my friends. We're all just first years. Mm -hmm. So what do you recommend us doing in order to like be successful in film? So your program is four years starting in first year or do you have three years after you get in? Uh, It's a four year program. Okay. So so right at the beginning you're in film. Yes. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because at UBC, we didn't get into film program until third year, which is weird. We had to just take film studies classes at UBC until production, which was the final two years. It's changed. It's now a three-year program at UBC. But one of the biggest things that I enjoyed doing was I took classes in things that have really expanded my knowledge base. Like I almost ended up minoring in Greek and Roman art and architecture while I was at university. And I think that it really gave me an understanding of classical, just classical architecture and understanding interesting shading and light and molding and all this cool stuff that you sort of, everything happens through osmosis, like really embracing those other classes that you're taking besides film, because that is so important in making you a good filmmaker because people will, that you're working with will reference not just films, but they'll reference art, they'll reference history. And the more information you have as a foundation really helps you as a filmmaker. If someone comes to you and they say, I want to shoot a film called 1917, it's set in the war of 1917, you have no background in what, he, in what they're talking about. You really, it's harder for you to develop that understanding. So that's my biggest thing is sort of as a film student, not just becoming so incest with making films that you, that you end up having blinders on. You really want to take a look at all the things around you because it all influences the films that you're going to make. Yeah, for sure. I think that's super important. All right. I have a question of, I can pop in here. Mm-hmm. So I kind of picture the director and the cinematographer as sort of this dynamic duo and they, um, they have like this great partnership going on. So when it comes to the director, who's that ideal person you want to work with? Is it someone who barks orders or gives you complete freedom? Like where is that sweet spot? Where is that like ideal director? to work with? I think the biggest thing in developing a shot list with directors can be different with each one. Some directors like to break the entire script you're given down shot by shot and then hand you that shot list and then you kind of move from that. Some directors like to talk it out. How do you see this scene being developed? Um, So each, I actually don't mind either one as long as the person who um, is directing is open to suggestions later on like I having a really strong point of view is why you're being hired as a director so 
you need to be able to stick to your guns, but also being open to the fact that the people who work on the show that you're on all know they want the best for the show as well. And they're just trying to make sure that we're all on a, on a course moving in the same direction so that it ends up looking like the TV show that people are expecting to tune into. Um, so that's a big element of it. Um, when it comes to um, working on features or smaller projects and shorts, I think it's just about finding those people you vibe with. It's not necessarily one way. I mean, the yelling thing is kind of an old school thing that doesn't really happen anymore. That's kind of a weird vibe to come into a set and start yelling at everybody. But I think the biggest thing is just like feeling an energy of people. That's why I work with, you know, directors over and over. You really want to be on the same energy level as them and want to you know, I mean, of course you're going to work with people that you're not, but like when you get the choice to, it's really lovely when you can kind of like, you're like, it becomes this really exciting process of seeing the same story develop through the project, which is really fun. Yeah. And don't be afraid to be really out there and stylized with some of the choices you make. Like the films that Jordan, that I sent you, like two of them are really like stylistically out there. One's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and the other is um, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. And both those films are really, like, the direction in them is really out there. But I appreciated that people saw that they could make a story in this way. Um, and I think that that's important. That's what's fun about being in film school is you can try really unique ways of making films and it still could be work and be successful but now is the time to make those mistakes or make those like interesting choices because no one's watching you end up on a big film show and you're trying those things it could be a very different situation but I think that's what's great about film school is you really have to develop what your language is you know how do you want to tell this story how can you tell it in a way that's unique to you thank you that's awesome do you mind if I pop in with one go ahead Brie Awesome. Sorry about the audio, by the way. I didn't want to miss this one in car. But um, so this is actually from our friend Anya because she really is interested in cinematography, but it's about 4 a.m. where she is right now, so she couldn't be here. But she just wanted to know how you got over like the initial nervousness when you're like on like one of your first like sets as a cinematographer, like even just I guess up to now too. Like how do you get over that fear and that nervousness? And like especially when it's like your style that's kind of consuming a project, like how do you pass that? I think it's a really good question because it's something that if you're not nervous on a job, then you're not loving what you're doing anymore. Every time I go onto a new show, I'm nervous, of course, because it's like you're working, like there's a huge machine behind you working on this show. Like there's a hundred people on a set. And if you can't figure out how you're going to light the scene, it can be a really, you know, frustrating thing. I think the biggest thing is that no matter what you do, you have to have confidence in your background and know that you'll figure it out. You might not necessarily think right away about what is going to work, but you kind of start to try stuff. As a cinematographer, I'll look at sort of like where the natural light is in a room, you know, and augment that and maybe work from there. Or if it's a really stylized show, you sort of like figure out how you can start from a certain place and then grow out. But I think it's really, I mean, I think you have to just embrace that everyone is going to be nervous. If it's not you, then someone else is going to take that job. So why not give it a go? Why not jump two feet into the pool and just try as hard as you can to sort of figure out what's happening? And that's like, and that's what's great about working with people who you meet in film school is you develop this comfortableness of being on set in an environment where people are at the same level as you. So that when you do have enough experience to get those bigger shows, 
you sort of have a confidence in like, okay, I've done this before I can do it. Um, and hopefully the team that's working behind you has your back. I think that's the biggest thing too, is that, you know, gaffers, I work with key grips, camera operators, hopefully the people that you're working with have the best intention for you to succeed. It's a really unfortunate situation if you're working with someone and they don't want that. So that's the biggest thing is you have to understand that they want you to shine as well. Um, and so I think, yeah, just, you got to just do it. And I, I hate when I hear people that they're like, oh, I'm not ready to upgrade or I don't know if I'm ready. I'm like, you have to just try because it's really all about giving it a go. And it's really, yeah. But there's been some nervous days. There's been some very nervous days. <laughs> Thank you for normalizing that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Totally. Um, how do you think you've leveraged in a way other cinematographers haven't? Hmm. Um, I do think that I was lucky in the fact that I, people really liked my camera operating and my ability to use that as a leverage to start shooting second unit DP work. So my first big A job was on Zoo and I got upgraded on the second day because they weren't happy with the A operator. And so boom, I was all of a sudden on the A operator on this big CBS show from being a B operator that was hired two days before. Talk about like a nervous situation that Brie was sort of talking about. That was a big jump. That show is a lot of like, it's a lot of moving parts. It's a big, big network television show. Um, so I was moved up to A camera. So then when I got through that season, I was asked to do Colony A camera. And I told them, I'll, I, I want to do this show, but I, if there's any second unit work, I want to DP it. Of course, you have to go through the process of being vetted. They had to look at my demo reel. But because I was, because they knew I knew the show so well as the operator, I was able to start shooting their second unit. I think that's why it's important to diversify your background is because there's ways for you to leverage. I know first ADs that have started directing on Good Doctor because they were able to leverage their job as an AD into getting onto the show as a director. Um, gaffers have become DPs because they've leveraged, I will, I'll do this season, but next season I want a DP. And a, a lot of the film industry is about negoti negotiating in that way. But yeah, I think that that's sort of the way I was able to leverage that was just un having a great understanding of camera operating. People felt comfortable with me making the leap to DP. Um, I think also too, I did benefit from sort of that like generation of people that were looking for diversity. And it's been very helpful to not only be good at my job, but also be um, sort of a person that stands out in the, in a field of a lot of the same people. So that really helped. Um, yeah. I mean, everyone has a different path. That's the funny thing about the film industry is like you just, every time you'll talk to a different person, like some people started in music videos and they did that. And now they're making great films. It's just, there's such a no one's past is the same but that's sort of how I was able to do it um and I think that that I wouldn't have wanted any other way thank you yeah of course and there was another question that I think we missed yeah, yeah. um yeah thank you for so, so much for being here but I had a question uh regarding like when you started because you mentioned that when you started you were actually working as a waitress and mm -hmm. just trying to get on sets my question is how did you balance that because, of course, when you're working, you have shifts, however shoots can come up, be like, oh, there's a three-day shoot to go, and, like, you leave for three days. How would, did you balance that as a student or as a young person just starting out? I mean, I think the waitressing industry is one of those industries that's a little more flexible. You can kind of give away shifts. Um, 
you know, when I was waitressing, I was doing a bunch of smaller films. And honestly, like as much as I'd love to say, films don't come up that often. It's so much money to put together an independent film that you, you know, you kind of hear about it and you book that time off or tell people that you won't want to work that weekend because there's a film you want to make. Um, and then because when I first started lamp opping, I wouldn't take show calls. I would just day call so I could make films on the side and not let people down. Like there's nothing worse than taking a show and then jumping off of it. You become known for being a show jumper and you don't want to do that. But finding a position in film that you can do part-time so you can get on set on those shows and then you can also shoot your own projects. I think that was sort of the biggest thing, having the flexibility in your schedule and telling people that that's what you want, you know, like people respected that I was wanted to be just a day call because I was like, I can't do a full-time show. I'm working on my own projects. And people were more flexible about letting me leave set because I was just upfront about what was going on. And those people are now people that I employ that were cool about me leaving, like gaffers that lent me gear from their truck so I could shoot this small independent film are now people that are applying for working on shows that I'm VPing. And that's an important role on any film set is to always be aware that no matter, never treat anyone lower than you because you never know who is going to be your boss. And why would you want to treat anyone badly anyways? They're all there, especially like a PA. I'm always like, why are people so mean to PAs? They have literally have like the longest hours. They have to stand in the rain. Why would you be mean to a PA? But, you know, that was the mentality back in the day. And now it's definitely changing and people are understanding that those people that worked for you could eventually be your boss. And it's really important to respect everyone and appreciate what they're doing to this giant machine that you're working on. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was really helpful. I think that's everyone. So thank you so much to all the people who asked questions and of course to you as well, Lindsay. But before we go, I asked you to come up with five films that you would personally recommend. So could you walk us through those? Sure. Um, so the first one is Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. Uh, to me, that film really encompasses some amazing storytelling and the way that it's shot brings you into that world. That's what I love about that film. It's like the cinematography is incredible. Like the way that they frame it, everything about it is amazing. And it's great because it's a female DP, um, who didn't get nominated for it, which I was shocked by, but, uh, yeah, it's a really, really amazing film that everyone should see. It just blows my mind how creative it is. Uh, the second film is a film that I'm sure probably you guys have all heard of, but The Blair Witch Project. That film was made on so little money, but it's all about good storytelling. And the cinematography worked with that film. You know, everything about that film fit within the budget. And you'll become really knowledgeable in this. Like, can we write a film that we can shoot cheaply, but that fits within the world that we're creating because everyone's going to have to figure out how to make their money stretch. And it's not to say that you can't shoot an alien film, but you better sure as heck know how you're making those aliens appear if you're going to be doing it that way. I mean, Neil Blomkamp is famous for doing District 9 at Vancouver Film School, but he had the background in visual effects to achieve that movie. So it's all about understanding what kind of financing or what kind of money can we pull together to make this movie and how can we make it in a way that really is doing justice to the genre. And I think The Blair Witch Project really sort of stands out as that kind of film that really changed filmmaking. I know um, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly is on that list. So that film to me 
is an is a great film to watch as a director because I think the way that they shot it surprised me. Um, there's a lot. It's a French film, and it's got some amazingly creative storytelling. It's another film that's that one's grounded in a little more reality, and I think that the directions they sort of took were really impressive and just yeah, really beautifully beautifully shot. Um, the next one is a movie called Crazy, which is a Canadian film. Uh, it's a Quebecois film, and it's really important to understand Quebecois cinema. I think it's they've there's some amazing films that have come out of Quebec, um, but this one was really impressive to me because it was unlike any Canadian film I've ever seen. It's very high concept and it's very well shot. It came out right after City of God came out which is another amazing film. And it's similar in its style. Like it's super, super, super stylized, but it's one of those films where they just sort of like did it without any apologies about what kind of film they were going to make. They were like, we're going to make this super stylized film. And they used really, really expensive music and they just shot with it and then asked for forgiveness later. That it's like a notorious, like that they just shot with this really expensive music and then showed people the film and we're able to get clearance on it, which is never happens normally. I wouldn't recommend that for everyone, but uh, for this film, it totally works. And it's a really amazing film about this family in Quebec and the son kind of goes through this like self-realization where he realizes he's gay. And it's a really amazing film that it was made at that time with that kind of voice and with an amazing style behind it. And lastly is the movie Stories We Tell, which is the Sarah Pauly documentary. Um, that she did about five years ago, and it was nominated for the Oscar for Best Doc. Or no, it was shortlisted, so I don't think it got a nomination. But it's a really cool blend between documentary and narrative. Um, and I think as any, like for any of you as filmmakers, definitely embrace shooting documentary. It is an incredible medium that really charges you to understand understand story and understand how to tell a story because and think on your feet it is really like my experience in documentary has come to help me in so many situations and it's actually gotten me like some of my narrative work like the reason I got siren was because the producers were so impressed with the documentaries I'd worked on which is like it's surprising but they understand that you know how to tell a story even with no script in front of you. And I think that that's a really important thing. And Stories We Tell is a great bridge between how can I elevate a documentary into sort of like this weird world. Um, but yeah, I love docs. Like I, I probably watch just as many documentaries as I do fiction films. So yeah, those are the films I came up with. Honestly, you could come up with so many. There's so many great films, but I think it's important, like definitely embrace international cinema. There are some amazing international films. You do not want to end up only ever seeing a certain kind of movie. And I think in the U.S. we get stuck in that. And there are some amazing international cinema, both in fiction and documentary. Yeah, of course. Thank you again so much for coming on the show. It was honestly such a pleasure talking with you. You had some really great insight and I loved hearing more about your process and experiences. That's all for this episode of Film Kid Asks. We release new episodes every Saturday. 